Turning points change the course of our lives, whether it's a big decision, overcoming an obstacle or tragedy, or taking a leap of faith. These stories of inspiration and resilience are what Turning Point is all about. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of Turning Point. Uh, if you're watching, you'll notice I have some new digs today. I'm actually recording from home. Uh, so pandemic life here in Toronto means the studios I usually record at, uh, of course, had to close. Um, so I'm trying to figure this all out. So uh, please uh, be gentle with me today. Um, if you're listening though, I actually really hope you just don't notice a difference. We're working really hard uh, myself along with the team at Toronto Podcast Studio uh, to make sure we're doing everything we can to make this audio auto, audio quality uh, as good as we can get it, especially because we do have an incredible guest with us today. Uh, not going to lie, I did a little happy dance when she agreed to be on the show. Um, okay, so enough suspense. She, along with her figure skating partner, Scott Moyer, are the most decorated figure skaters in Olympic history. Tessa Virtue, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. I did a happy dance when I was asked. So <laughs> this is great. Oh, that makes me feel so good. <laughs> so we're actually both uh, in Toronto right now. And how are you doing before we get into it? How are you weathering this pandemic? Oh, thank you for asking. I mean, it's a roller coaster. I, I think everyone's feeling that. And relatively speaking, I feel so grateful. I know that, you know, I've been so fortunate within this um, to be healthy and safe. And I have a lot of projects on the go, so that's helping to, to keep me busy. But um, it's tough, you know. I miss everyone. How are you feeling? Yeah, you know, I, very much the same way. I, I feel like it has certainly been a, a roller coaster. Um, you know, some weeks seem better than others. And I find the time has been really weird. Like the some days I feel are really slow, but then the weeks and months are kind of flying by. Um, oh, so right. And you, yeah. there's this pressure to maximize all of this time. And I think sometimes that weighs heavily thinking, okay, how can I be extremely productive and what will I have to show on the other side of this? And then I think we have to take, take it easy on ourselves and realize like, we're, we're okay. We're getting by, <laughs> we're managing. And sometimes that's good enough. Absolutely. I think you're right. Just kind of giving ourselves the the grace to be like, you know what, if today's a day when I, I don't really leave the couch, it's okay. It's okay. Yes. Um, when we um, started emailing about this interview, I was so curious uh, about what you would say was uh, your biggest turning point. Of course, I know there have been just so many of them uh, in your career, um, but I actually just want to read um, verbatim what you said to me. Um, so this is what you said. You said, making the insanely risky decision to return to skating for the 2018 games after stepping back in 2014 is the turning point that has and will continue to shape my life. Um, which I, you know, I, anyone who's a fan will remember that moment um, when, when you announced, of course, that you were coming back. Um, but take me back to that decision-making process. How did you and Scott make the decision and, and what was kind of happening around you at that time? Well, we did step back after 2014 and there was no real questioning of that. We, we knew that we needed to take some time away from the sport um, reevaluate, reassess. We never said we were retiring, but I think honestly, that's what we both intended on doing. And a few months went by and we realized that we craved that purpose. We missed the setting a goal on such a huge magnitude and such a big scale. We missed waking up and really feeling passionate about, you know, what it was we were doing. And 
<laughs> when things really came to fruition, we had a few jokes back and forth where I could tell we were probing one another to sort of get a sense of like, how are you feeling about this? I'm going to lob it up there for you. And we did that back and forth for a little while. And then um, we flew to Beijing to do a show. And I, I believe we were there for maybe not much more than 24 hours. And at some point in there, we, we had time to go to the Great Wall. So we were in the car two or three hours both ways. And we got chatting about, okay, if we decided to come back, who would coach us? What music would we skate to? What would you want to do differently? How could we mentally approach things differently? How could we emotionally support one another? You know, how could we further solidify this partnership? I mean, there were, the list was endless. And by the time we got to the Great Wall, we had basically just decided, I mean, okay, now we can't not do that. <laughs> That's very, very cool. And especially in a situation where, I mean, obviously you both had to really be on the same page. Um, and it sounds like you really were. Um, how did the people around you react? Well, you're right about being on the same page. And it was really clear to both of us, that, you know, if Scott had any hesitation or you know, any sense of trepidation moving forward, I didn't even, I wouldn't have wanted to skate, you know, and same, you know, vice versa. So we really were aligned. I think everyone thought we were crazy. Honestly, I remember telling our families and they didn't quite believe us. And we called Marie France and Patrice, who ended up coaching us. And we asked if they would consider it. And they too were, you know, unsure of our motives and just trying to figure out, okay, why take this risk and and you know what's the incentive and the impetus behind it all um it took a while to convince everyone around us that <laughs> it was a good decision <laughs> right i mean i can see that because um at this point you had olympic gold medals you had olympic silver medals you had world championships so um you obviously had a wonderful career and if it had ended there it would have been still an amazing career we would still you know we would still be talking today about how incredible it was so was that uh that dream of kind of going back to the olympics was that one of the main motivating factors for the two of you the Olympic Games will always, you know, hold such a special place in our hearts. And I think we just realized that while it was still in our grasp, it would have been really hard to to watch it float by and, and not try for it. And we'll feel that, you know, every Winter Olympic Games that pass for the next, you know, 40 years. But we still felt we had more to give, more to explore, more potential in us. But more importantly, we really just felt we could do things differently. I think having the chance to step back and watch a skating event from the stands and realize, hmm, our perspective can be totally different. And hmm, maybe we should approach it in a more scientific or, um, you know, physiologically sound way. Maybe there are differences. You know, skating, much like most sports, is a little archaic in its means of, you know, pursuing something in, in training. And we just, we felt we could shake it up a bit. And I think... Ultimately, it was that sense of, okay, you know, how can we do this differently? And how can we be students of this craft that we wanted to master? And it was, I think, that sense of really learning and growing and evolving that kept us going. That's so fascinating to me because I, I think as, as an outsider, uh, I think 
you know, you would think like, of course they want to come back and, and, and win another Olympic gold medal. But hearing this other side of things that, you know, especially in having that time where you had those seasons where you weren't competing to really watch what other people were doing and to kind of take that, um, have that more objective look, I guess, at, uh, at the sport itself. That is, that is really interesting that, that that's what you were kind of thinking about was there's still room for us to grow and, mm-hmm. uh, and make a difference and to do things differently. Um, and you certainly did when you came back. Um, what did it take then after, uh, I know you were still skating during that time, but um, for not competing for two seasons and then coming back and, and getting back into the competitive groove, what was that like? Yeah, it's, um, you know, just to touch on what you just mentioned, we, we had really honest and vulnerable conversations about what it would look like if we came back and failed. <laughs> Or if we came back and didn't qualify for the Olympics, if we came back and we were last place at the Olympics, we had to really reconcile that in our minds and make sure that our motives were coming from a really pure place and, and that our intentions weren't to, you know, redeem ourselves from Sochi, but rather start fresh and make this its own standalone chapter in our careers. But what did it take? The biggest thing was a, a team, like the right team of people around us. We moved to Montreal. We started working with an organization called B210, and they facilitated this sports service staff around us of, you know, around 14, 15 people, in addition to our on-ice coaches, five of them or so, um, where everyone was contributing in a really meaningful way. The communication was streamlined, and we operated as if we were the CEOs of our company. So we were at the helm and we were sort of trying to bring out the best from those around us. And it was just so different to be working within that structure. It just felt so much more professional, so much more thoughtful um, as opposed to sort of what we had grown accustomed to. And I think what the sport was used to. Yeah, that is a huge change. And I imagine, um, you know, along with, obviously, I know you just mentioned um, Sochi there, you you did move after this and switch coaches. Um, like you talked about, you moved from Michigan to Montreal. So this really was a lot of change happening all at once. Yeah. And we were trying to change our, the technique that we used for skating. So we were trying to totally like at least implement a 20% change in our skating style. And after, you know, two decades of (laughs) habits, uh, it was, it was difficult, but I think that was that was probably one of the strongest incentives to just show up to the rink every day and and try to implement those changes. And interestingly, I think I realized that it's the first time, you know, going to the rink for those two years in Montreal, those days were the first time that I unabashedly loved skating. Like I, I really loved it with every fiber of my being. And I hadn't experienced that in so long since maybe we were kids, you know, starting out and it was so refreshing. I would call home and my family would not recognize the voice on the other end because they'd say, Oh my gosh, you're so happy. (laughs) You're so happy to be skating. And yes, it was grueling and it was hard, but there was just a different environment in Montreal that allowed us to flourish in a really healthy way. This is, I'm so interested in, in this side because that so that change did you feel like it came mostly from having that ownership that you talked about and and kind of um trying this new approach and this new technique is that kind of where the joy came from 
I think you're right. Ownership is a great word because we took full accountability and responsibility for our career. And it felt like that sort of, that control helped us so much because it just further solidified our purpose. And it gave us confidence too. It gave us confidence in decision-making in really, you know, standing, standing true to our values, I guess. And, you know, we did a little, a lot of backward imaging thinking, okay, how do we want to feel when we, when we take our opening position in Pyeongchang and what do we have to do to, to get to that point? And a lot of that was just making decisions for us. I think we'd lost ourselves in the mix somewhere around Sochi, trying to appease so many people and trying to be the team that other people wanted us to be. And instead we sort of flipped the script and said, okay, this is who we are and you can accept it or not, but this is how we want to present ourselves. That is very cool. And what a great life lesson too, that, uh, that I'm sure, you know, you still, uh, you still use to this day. Yeah, I try, I try to, I think, you know, as I was preparing to, to, wrap my head around these thoughts for this interview, I was trying to think, what would be different? It's probably a question coming. <laughs> what would be different if we hadn't decided to come back? And I think a big part of that is the ability to leave the sport really at peace and knowing that we put our all into it, but then also using those lessons, you know, to catapult ourselves forward and to feel like I've been propelled with a certain skill set that actually really can help me in this post-sport career in life. Amazing. And I know you touched on this uh, just a couple of minutes ago, this kind of joy that you started to feel again that you really hadn't felt um, since you were kids. And I mean, you and Scott really were kids when you started skating together. I believe you were seven and, and he was nine, right? Yes, exactly. What do you remember about, about those early days of skating together? Oh my goodness. Uh, I remember Scott's like vivacious, big personality. I remember a lot of laughter. Um, I remember the challenge of just trying to one-up each other and constantly, I mean, we worked together, but in the early days we were, we were quite competitive with one another in our single skating. And, and then I just remember loving the choreography process. And I think that's what kept me coming back year after year. Uh, I would have done anything just for a few weeks of choreography and the playing and dancing and applying that onto the ice. That's where I think I felt the most fulfilled and satisfied in those early days. Wow. Really need to hear that because obviously that's something that, that, and then kind of that coming back to that um, as you, uh, as you kind of made your comeback ahead of Pyeongchang, um, you actually had to make some really tough decisions uh, at a young age because you were all, also a very talented ballerina at that time. And you were offered a spot at the national ballet when you were nine. So what made you choose figure skating at that point? I think, this is going to sound greedy, but choosing figure skating allowed me to have it all because I could still dance. I could travel, I could compete. And if I was choosing ballet, it was a much narrower focus and I wouldn't be able to skate. So I think it in my head, at the, in my nine-year-old little brain, it seemed like, okay, well, this way I can have both options. You know, I can skate, you know, focus on that, but ballet would really help my skating. Um, and also already, even then, I felt this accountability to Scott and, you know, this partnership was taking sort of a, a central role in my life already. And so I was prioritizing that. 
Wow. What maturity for a nine-year-old. I, I, I feel like if I, at nine years old, I would have just had to be like, mom, what should I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, I feel so lucky that my mom was incredibly supportive. She probably would have encouraged me to choose ballet if I'm honest. Um, but she really did give me the reins and say, you know, this is your trajectory, your path, what's going to make you happy. I think it's so, uh, it's so interesting that that accountability that you talked about there, um, with, uh, to Scott was already there at such a young age, because I've heard you two describe yourselves, uh, in interviews as, you know, as best friends. Um, and obviously over this 22 years, you spent more time together than most people spend with anyone really yeah. like significant other family member. Um, and I'm sure there were ups and downs like in, in any partnership, but you always both seem um, so supportive. So in tune with each other, both in your performances and in, in interviews. So how did you nurture and, and maintain that partnership? Mm. I think, I mean, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but we, we put in the effort. We took great care and consideration in, ensuring that we were forming this partnership and cultivating um, this really safe place. And beyond the technicalities of skating or even the artistic expression of things, what mattered the most in our performances was that synchronicity and that unison together. And we figured that out from a very young age that, you know, what we lacked in some areas we could make up for with the strength of our partnership. And, a big part of that, I think, was understanding how to work together, even when we weren't, you know, totally in agreement on things. So maximizing our time on the ice and every moment we had in training, we didn't waste a single second of that blaming one another or name calling or getting caught up in the drama of a fight. Rather, we, we, we knew every day we had a job to do. We knew that we were working towards a shared vision and a common goal and nothing would stop us to to get there. So... I think it just, you know, it was pure luck that our personalities balance each other really well. But then it also took, you know, a, a ton of work, a lot of sports psychology, marriage counseling, even um, mental prep work to come together and ensure that we brought out the best in one another and that we were each other's biggest support systems. Okay, you kind of just slid marriage counseling in there and I want <laughs> I want to know more about this. So, so that's something that you actually did together. I would say the bulk of our career was actually working with a marriage counselor in Michigan. Yeah. Wow. That's so fascinating. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Of course, like we just said there, you spent so much time together. You would have had to really be in sync with each other and be able to work through uh, any anything that would have come up. But that is so interesting that that, that was actually something that you, that you did. And this person was actually a marriage counselor. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I think... One thing I really learned from that was that even when things were going well, we still sought advice and counseling. And it wasn't just the panic moments of turmoil when things weren't going well, but it was, you know, sustaining that and building that and maintaining that really positive relationship and partnership. Huh. That, yeah, that's so interesting. And it, it completely makes sense that that would, uh, that would be so beneficial in a, in a partnership like that, that too. Um, what has it been like since you uh, stopped seeing each other regularly? Like, do you, do you still talk a lot or are you still quite close? It's so strange. I mean, we're two of the worst people at keeping in touch, really. And we've always known that. Um, 
But yeah, it's hard. I mean, we miss each other a lot, especially with everything that's happening right now. It's just particularly strange. Um, but we keep in touch and we're, you know, so excited to, to catch up when we can and just can't wait to see each other again. That'll be really yeah. fun. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, once this is all over, it'll be so nice to to have this that reunion. I'm sure you'll have so much to catch up on. Um, I know during this time, this pandemic has been a, a major time of reflection for a lot of us uh, in, you know, looking back on some of our past experiences. So as you look back on your career, is there a year that stands out to you as being particularly challenging? Mm. Oh, so many. I mean, resilience has been top of mind for me lately. So I've been reflecting on those lows a lot. Um, there were a couple of surgeries uh, for me in my shins and calves, uh, which made those seasons particularly tough. Um, and then I think what, you know, there are moments that everyone goes through, whether that's bullying or lack of self-esteem, um, self-doubt, um, you know, for us, that question, you know, when I was injured of whether we could actually continue to skate or not, there were some real challenges. And that's where I felt like it was important to rely on our team, to rely on one another, but to really vocalize those fears and doubts with, with those people around us and and lean on, on other people, which I, I hope and I think um, people are realizing now with everything that's going on in the world that we, we need that connectivity and it's so healthy to be vulnerable and, and share with others and uh, open, open yourself up for that uh, support in your life. You hit on something there that I, I think a lot of us can really identify with right now, being able to, like you said, lean on other people, ask for help. Um, I know you mentioned uh, bullying and, and self-confidence there. And I think those struggles, uh, you know, I, I I think they're they're widespread. A lot of us deal with them, but I think the challenge uh, in a position like yours is, you're in front of the cameras. People expect have an idea of of you know you being being confident and um you know and and not seeing the cracks, I guess. And I imagine it must have been hard when some of those things were happening behind the scenes. Uh, it must have been hard to to show up and and to be that person that people expected you to be. I think it, it's hard for everyone. I mean, I I think about now, I don't know how kids are de dealing with social media growing up um, and the pressures that we're all facing, especially as women, these pressures to be and look and act a certain way. And in fact, just accepting the things that make us unique and knowing that those difference makers are actually what make us special and and give us a certain kind of power or magic. Yeah, there's, I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard. And sometimes you do have to just fake it. You have to fake it and, and you know, put your shoulders back and just sort of sort of own it. But other times it's okay to be honest and, and realize that it's so healthy and normal to, to have those doubts. It's just monitoring, I think, I don't know how you feel, but how we speak to ourselves. So am I being kind with, with my internal dialogue or am I compounding the issue? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I can relate in a way because um, in television, it's also a very uh, performance based um, 
profession and you know if you have a bad morning or you're not getting along with one of your coworkers, you when the cameras are on you're all friends everyone's smiling every everyone's happy and um like in any partnership like what you would have experienced with scott there are ups and downs it doesn't matter you know how close you are how good you are there there are going to be times when there are disagreements and and everyone's not on the same page but there there certainly is that expectation of of showing up and, and kind of giving people what they what they want and what they expect and i right. think you're right about that the way we talk to ourselves uh being a very important uh, p- part of of doing that but still being healthy and taking care of yourself too yeah and as you're talking i realize like that's what makes you human those feelings and emotions and experiences that's a human thing and that we put people on this pedestal and expect them to be perfect or one thing or in fit you know into this little box that we've created it's just so limiting i think uh, i'd be so curious to hear how you manage that, you know, throughout, especially those TV days. Yeah, you know, I think that sometimes were easier than others. I think some disagreements were, um, were easier to, to handle. And, you know, you talk about it after and you work things out. Um, and I, I will say there were days for me when I would cry my eyes out before a show and put on a smile and do the show and cry my eyes out again after. And, um, and it would take longer to to get over and to and to work through. And um, I felt very grateful to have a good mental health support during that time and and good counselor and good friends, I think, too, outside of work. Um, that became very, um, very important to me at, at, at certain times. But, um, and, and, you know, I, I honestly, I, I wish I would have spoken more about it in the moment, I think sometimes too. Now I, I look back and think, well, maybe, I, maybe I should have talked about that because I know other people go through, through the same things too. It's still not easy to be honest <laughs> for me to talk about all the time, but, yeah. um, but it's something I'm trying to get better at too. Well, you're so right. And sometimes we need to hear ourselves say out loud that we're okay in order to believe it. So some of that's a coping mechanism too, and and can be healthy to some degree. But uh, I feel you on that. There was one tour in particular that I'm I'm quite sure I cried almost every time uh, in the tunnel before heading out to, <laughs> to perform and waterproof mascara was important that year. <laughs> oh yeah, I hear you. Definitely, definitely key. Uh, speaking of kind of challenging aspects uh, of, of the sport or of, of, of being a performer in some ways, you, all, you have spoken out in the past uh, just about uh, the challenges of being a female athlete when it comes to these expectations around, you know, body image and people asking you about, about your weight or your costume. And how did you, how did you manage some of that and, and how did that affect you? Some of it, I, I honestly can't explain. There's just something about my personality that isn't willing to give in <laughs> to that pressure in a, in a lot of ways. Um, it was really important to me to show that you could be successful, that you could stand on top of a podium and still be healthy. And I thought about, you know, young girls watching the Olympics or competitions or even scrolling through my Instagram feed and how does that make them feel? And I think it's so important to know, especially in a sport that is so aesthetically driven, you know, that, that you can be strong and powerful and graceful and you can be (laughs) fierce and still be delicate. And I think, you know, not compartmentalizing, you know, those subsets of descriptors was important to me that to, to feel like you could marry the two and you know, you talk about support. I was with a, a skating partner who, 
you know, his main goal was to make me feel confident and good in my body and in my, in, uh, on my skates. And so that was always a really healthy place for me. I never felt, I never felt bad or guilty, um, you know, when I was on the ice with him. So that helped a lot. Um, yeah. And then there's just this stubborn attitude that I think I have <laughs> in me, <laughs> um, that wasn't willing to give in to that pressure. I just kept, kept thinking there has to be a way around it. Maybe if I work more on my skating skills, then that can compensate, um, for not looking the way people want me to look. I think that that has is one reason that people of of all ages really um, admire you and really um, look up to you as a role model because um, you you have handled uh, these situations these questions from you know whether it's it's the media or whoever about um, about about your body which I've seen I was I actually just did this deep dive where I was looking back at old articles and I I kind of notice quite a, a change. I mean, I, I don't think things are perfect now. I think there's still a lot of room for improvement. Um, but I, I did notice some change in, and maybe fewer of those questions kind of creeping in uh, a little bit later on in, in time. But I was just like, couldn't get over the, the comments about, about costumes. And especially as an athlete, when you spend all of these hours training, and then somebody comes out and asks you about your costume, like, I feel like it might have been hard. Yeah, there are some moments I wish I could go back and relive and redo um, because I just don't think I was in the headspace to challenge uh, people at that time. Um, but yeah, yeah, I hope you're right that there there is a shift and that continues. We, we still need to um, ensure that the coverage, especially for female athletes, um, is, is progressing in the right direction. Uh, yeah, I I completely agree. There's definitely work to do, and I I think now it, at least we're in a better place to to be having the conversations, and hopefully that helps to to push things forward faster. Right. Um, one of the other things in in my deep dive of of reading um, that I I thought was kind of unique about about the sport itself was just how many figure skaters train with their biggest competitors. I think that is something that's so unusual. So, um, of course this was uh, the case for you. I I'm sure at several points in your career, but the, uh, the one I kept coming across, um, I'm sure you're not surprised was from, um, just before Sochi, um, when you were coached by Marina Zueva, she was also coaching the Americans, uh, Meryl Davis and Charlie White, who ended up winning gold that year. I, I know there was a lot of controversy around this situation. Well, what was it like for, uh, for you and Scott during, that time kind of training and then and then handling this controversy after hmm I mean it didn't seem like a controversy to us afterwards because we really like believed that they probably should have won I I still think that you know so it wasn't a controversy in our minds we were pleased with our performances but yeah for our entire careers we skated and trained with our biggest rivals sharing a coaching staff and one of the things that mattered most to us was differentiating ourselves with some of our off-ice team members, ensuring that we felt like we had people that were just on our side and there for us, um, contributing to our success in a meaningful way that was just for us and us alone. And, you know, sometimes it was challenging in that, you know, it's, it's a competition every single day and there are those nerves and butterflies and you're comparing yourself. And yet I think that helped us get used to that uncomfortable feeling that we experienced in competition. It wasn't so foreign to us. And it also gave us this, this ability to focus in a really unique way where some days we went on the ice and we used it to our advantage to say, wow, look how hard they're working. Look at that element of theirs. It's so good. We better step up our game. And some days we stepped on the ice and challenged ourselves to say, 
we're in our little bubble. No one else exists. Let's not even glance in their direction. And so it, it honed this skill in us that we were able to really block out distractions um, and focus on what it was that we needed to do. A lot of the conversations and the the topics we've been talking about, I keep thinking because um, in the back of my mind, I know you're you're doing your MBA right now, uh, and I keep hearing these words that I think must be um, so helpful as you're doing your MBA, like these skills that would be so transferable. This uh, this kind of focus, this drive, this discipline and consistency. Um, so as you as you kind of change, uh, change gears and, you know, skating is is sort of in the rear view mirror and you're focusing on your MBA. Are, are you finding that? Are you finding a lot of the skills transferable? Uh, Yes, I, I think so. I'm, and I'm really trying to be conscious of how I implement those skills because some of it comes naturally at this point, but also I, I don't want it to be like, that was what I did in skating and now I have to come up with this entire new repertoire and this new toolbox that I'm applying to school or work. Um, one thing I've noticed in in that regard is that I I sometimes create tension. Um, I think because I'm used to that stress and pressure and I like performing under pressure and, and I and I want to almost make an event seem bigger. So I can I've learned that I procrastinate a little bit in order to like heighten the senses and then there's this flurry and then this feeling of accomplishment afterwards so it's funny how that's uh, manifested itself but I think just being aware of it is really helping and yeah there you know I always marvel at the the similarities between an athlete's life and quest and how that can be mimicked in in the business realm and there are so many transferable skills um you know that I think we can all learn from I'm still learning um how to train my brain that way Yeah, that's so interesting. Is there anything now that, you know, I'm sure as an athlete, I can only imagine the the discipline when it came to like food and exercise and all of that. Is there anything that you really couldn't do before that you're really relishing being able to do now? There are so many things. (laughs) um, So many things, probably just like a, a real personal life. I it never felt like a sacrifice necessarily throughout the years that we were competing, but it, it certainly was looking back. Um, you know, and that's part of being an athlete. It's, it's a selfish endeavor and every moment of every day is spent just thinking about how I can be the best. And I think what's really refreshing now is having time and space to enjoy a a personal life. Yeah. I, I can imagine like just having a relationship, I'm sure was, was challenging uh, at that time, just trying to, when you would have been traveling so much, when you would have had such a strict daily routine, I'm sure it would have been, would, would have been really hard. And of course now you're, you're living with your partner uh, in Toronto. So what a big change that would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I think when, at least when I was competing, there was always part of myself that was reserved for that. And that was, you know, always the priority. And yeah, I think it's so much healthier now. And it's, it's um, fun and exciting. And it's, it's great to be able to open myself up in that way. And I know we talked about this just as we were kind of preparing for the call, but you also have a dog, which even that you wouldn't have been able to have a pet really, oh, right? Definitely she's sleeping on her back like this, right beside me. <laughs> um, you, have, you have a cat. We were talking about that. I, I love that. 
Yeah. Oh, especially during this pandemic, I think having a pet around, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know how Zoe's life is, but my cat is definitely so spoiled uh, right now with, with attention. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it is really nice. Um, So uh, what's next for you, Tessa? I know you're working on your MBA. I know you're busy. I follow your Instagram and you know, you still have, uh, have a lot of partnerships and, and um, you do a lot of speaking still. Um, But as you're kind of thinking about the future, what's next for you Hmm. yeah I feel so lucky to to have the opportunity to still be involved um you know with some certain brands and and companies that I love um I've started some work I don't know if I can speak to that yet but like a real office job um which has been fun and scary and um exhilarating and then school as you mentioned has been taking up a lot of time as well what's next I mean I hope that I'm able to take these skills that I'm learning right now. I'm learning them both theoretically and practically. And that was very purposeful to be able to kind of go through the school program like that. Um, I have a dream of sort of building my own thing at some point. I keep talking about it. People must be so sick of it, but it's, it's really just what is constantly ruminating in my mind. And I just want to make sure that I go about it in the right way. So right now I'm absorbing and being a sponge and trying to learn as much as I possibly can about every facet of the business and then hopefully I'll be able to to launch something. And uh, I don't know when or um, I don't know the details, but that's that's um, taking up a lot of my capacity at the moment. Yeah. And I, I actually think I'm just thinking about for myself when I, I thought about this show, I I talked about it all the time. And I always it was the name was always changing and what it was about was always changing. And but I did the same thing. I think people probably were sick of hearing me talk about this thing that I wasn't actually but doing. I hope you take moments now to reflect on the yes. fact that you actually made it come to life. A hundred percent. That's amazing. And that, the talking about it is so important too, because I'm sure you find the same thing. You, some people give you different ideas or, you know, you start to see things differently. And, um, and also you have these like people who are going to keep you accountable. Cause once you start talking about something, people inevitably are going to ask <laughs> yeah. you about it so uh, right. down the road. So right. Well, I think it's amazing. And I love the, the whole concept of the show because everyone has that one moment and it doesn't mean you know, it's one of two choices in, in that moment. It can be a plethora of options. And, you know, it would be so interesting if we were having this conversation and Scott and I hadn't decided to come back to competition, you know, there still would be maybe the not deciding or not coming back would be the turning point. But um, it's so interesting. I, and I think that's such a clever approach to this podcast. I love it. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And yeah, I I found that too. I mean, everyone has a turning point and, you know, we could talk again in 10 years and and you would have another one, um, which is, which is very cool. Um, I kind of love that you just brought it back to, to your turning point there, because I did want to come back to it at the end here, because one of the things you had said um, when you mentioned it was your turning point was of course that it was a turning point, but you also said that it's this decision that continues to affect you to this day. So how do you, how do you see that, uh, that impact still? happening in your life from that moment? I mean, I think professionally, I'm certainly grateful for it um, because it it sort of catapulted me into these career options that may, may not have been available. But more than that, it's just that that personal satisfaction of knowing that the preparation was done in a certain way. And I think that's the kind of confidence that I'm taking with me beyond sport and beyond the turning point it's it's the very 
process of embracing the hard work, you know, setting an ambitious goal, being fearless in the pursuit of it, and having the wherewithal and the confidence to stick to my guns. And, you know, that's that's not going to be easy. The path ahead, I'm going to fall and falter and fumble. But if I can try my best to uphold some of those values and, and at least pursue it with the same intention, um, whatever comes next, then I, then I think I'm off to a decent start. I think you're off to a great start. And what a beautiful uh, message for us to end on too. Just knowing that, that you can try, you might stumble along the way, um, but that you can, you can keep going and, and that you can find a way to get to your goal. I think that is a message we can all use right now as, you know, we're, we're all just trying to do our best. And whether that means getting through the day, um, whether that means, you know, finishing a project at work, uh, getting groceries, taking care of a sick relative, um, I think that anyone uh, can really use that, that advice. So thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your turning point, for sharing so many great, uh, great insights. And I really can't wait to see what you do next. I'm going to be asking you about your company for sure next time <laughs> thank you well and i'm gonna hold you to it you need to do an episode that is about you and your turning point because gone that's fascinating okay now that we've said it out loud i feel like it has to yeah. happen so thank yep. you for that i needed the push <laughs> get, him in, get him on here <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> Well, thank you again so much, Tessa. And thanks to all of you for watching, for listening today. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I look forward to uh, seeing you and hearing from you on social media. And until then, take good care of yourselves and of each other.